Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. I'm going to tell you a funny story. And you'd think that would change the atmosphere, but it won't, because actually God's a fun God, and you can actually have a laugh and still keep you know, a holy atmosphere. But I was in bed yesterday morning, and uh, it was about 7 o'clock in the morning, and someone got up and let the dog outside, and the dog just started barking, and it just started to really tick me off. Who's got a dog that barks? <sighs> when you're trying to have a sleep in on a Sunday morning, and he's barking, and every time he barks, you know, I twitch a little bit, and I twitch again, and I grab my pillow, and I put it over my head, and I'm just praying that one of the kids will get up and let him inside, but they don't. So he keeps barking, so in the end, I'm like, ah. Oh, Zero tolerance. So I leap out of bed and I storm into the kitchen. And we've got a broom on the, against the door in the kitchen because every now and again, if our dog misbehaves, um, you're not supposed to you know, discipline your dog with your hands because otherwise they get scared of your hands. You're supposed to use like a blunt instrument. And so, um, no, it's not about we got. I got the broom. We, we tap him on the head with the brush end of the broom, right? It doesn't hurt him at all, clearly, because his behavior hasn't changed one iota. And so I go storming out there, and I open the door. And even though it doesn't hurt him, if he sees the broom, he'll be like, whoa. So I grab the broom, and I storm outside. And do you know, if you, if you try and walk out a door that's like this wide, and you're holding a broom straight up, it fits. But if the broom's on an angle, what happens is both ends of the broom hit the parts of the doors that aren't open, and you would think that if that happened, you would just bounce back off the broom, kind of be a bit embarrassed, look around, make sure no one was watching, and carry on. I thought that would happen. It doesn't. If you get it at just the right angle, you will catapult over the broom handle and end up flat on your back. So it's 7 o'clock in the morning, and I am in my boxes, and I'm lying on our brick patio, and I have, no joke, I have pulled my groin doing this flip, and I am in absolute agony, and the dog is just running circles around me, licking my face and stuff, and I've dropped the broom, and I've forgotten you're not supposed to hit dogs with your hands. I'm just, like, lashing out at any bit of flesh that goes past, and I'm glad to see you guys found the funny side, you horrible people. Good grief. Came inside, limped inside, crawled back into bed. I said to Liz, I've broken my leg or something, and so she's got an ice pack on my groin and popping pills and she's praying for me and oh my gosh it was so so sore and so today I'm like limping around they say laughter is the best medicine what's the proverb like laughter do with good like a medicine is that is that a proverb is that in the bible this is your pastor asking you guys is that in the bible so I'm sitting in bed and I'm like I need to I need to find something funny to laugh at and so I'm just reading through these dumb dumb posts that people have put on Facebook which made me laugh. (laughs) I remember when I was a kid, I could go to the shops with one dollar and come home with an ice cream, bag of lollies, bag of chips, some bubble gum and a drink, but nowadays there's cameras everywhere. (laughs) Made me laugh, eh? I asked if I could move seats on the plane because there was a crying baby next to me, but apparently it's not allowed if it's your kid. (laughs) Roses are red, violets are blue. I bet you thought I was going to say something romantic, but they're just gardening facts. (laughs) I don't know what this says about me as a person, but I read this one and I laughed out loud in bed. I had to read it out to Liz. 25 years ago, 
I was held back in English class and my teacher told me to my face I would never make it as a writer. But I am pleased to announce that 25 years on, after countless knockbacks from numerous publishers, finally, that teacher has died. <laughs> That's not right. You shouldn't say that in church. <coughs> you want one more? One more. My wife and I have decided not to have kids. The kids are pretty cut up about it. <laughs> oh, dear. You've got to have a good laugh sometimes. All right, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Acts. You can use some of those, Damon. It's fine. In your act. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Damon's a stand-up comedian in his spare time, which I found out the other day. So I'm like, man, this has never made me laugh. Got to, you got to... <laughs> I'm, I'm also a stand-up comedian. I stand up and people laugh. So there you go. Acts chapter 9... Uh, We're going to pick it up in verse 19. You'll remember those of us that were at Lounge Church last Sunday, we were talking about the conversion of Saul, about the encounter that he had with God on the road to Damascus. We had the privilege of going to uh, Tracy and Paul's house uh, last Sunday for Lounge Church, and it was was awesome. Those guys are doing a really good job in their Lounge Church, and uh, Tracy had picked some some songs on Spotify for us to worship to, all songs that I didn't know, which was actually really cool, because I was like, these are cool songs, we should do some of these songs in church, it was great. And uh, and I managed to convince everybody not to watch the video of me, because I said, guys, this is like cruel and unusual punishment, I've got to sit here and watch a video of myself with all of you in the room, let's not do that. I said, let's just not watch the video, I mean, let's be honest, you've got me here in real life, like IRL. So... Uh, we just we just open up the Bible and we read through it and we just stop every now and again and I'd say what do you think's going on here like what's your take on this what's your perspective and seriously at the end of it I had so much more understanding than I had at the start so much more revelation so many different perspectives and filters and lenses and people like well I've always thought this and I've always thought that and really intelligent questions and at the end of it I was like flip I should have done this first and then recorded the video. Because the video would be 10 times better now with all of this extra understanding that I've got. And so uh, I know that we said we would do lounge church until the end of the year and then we would reevaluate it. So we've got November and December to go and then there'll be an opportunity for all of you to feedback about what you like, what you didn't like, whether you think it's worth continuing, all that kind of stuff. But if we did continue, I'm very tempted to just say, hey, look, let's not worry about the videos. Like, I reckon you'll get more out of it just sitting down together and just pulling stuff out in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. We'll wait and see. Anyway... Chapter 9, verse 19. Uh, We're going to get to my point, but we're going to take the scenic route. Is that okay? Because I've only got like one serious thing to say, but a couple of observations to make along the way. So verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. This is after he's had his conversion, right? After Ananias has gone to him and opened his eyes and he's eaten and he's had something. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem? I love that phrase, raised havoc. In the King James Version, it says, isn't this the man that destroyed the people in Jerusalem that called on his name? It comes from a Greek word, which is only used three times in the whole Bible. Twice it's translated destroyed in the King James. And once, I love this, it's translated wasted. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul is writing, and in the King James Version, uh, or rather in the original Greek, he, um, 
Actually, no, it isn't the King James Version. That's right, if you read it. In Galatians 1.13, he says, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, which is the sort of language that I used when I was a kid growing up. You know, if you really bet someone badly, you wasted them, right? Like the All Blacks only just bet Australia in the first Bledisloe Cup match, but in the second one, we wasted them. So next time you're talking to someone and you use the word wasted, and they go, where'd that come from? You say, actually, it comes from the Bible. Paul used it in Galatians 1.13 to describe that he persecuted the church and then wasted it. So they say, isn't this the man who wasted those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? It just amuses me that everybody knows what Paul's plan was the whole time. Even when he turned up and God said to Ananias, go and pray for him, Ananias is like, no, he's here to arrest people, to throw them in prison. He's going to cause a big problem. Everyone everywhere knows. So clearly Paul's plan, or Saul's plan, wasn't to sneak in, wasn't to kind of, you know, get the lay of the land, find out who's who, kind of, you know, get into people's good graces. He was just going to show up with, bam, a massive show of force. And so he comes back to Jerusalem, and everyone there is like, well, what's going on? says in verse 22, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. This is the very definition of irony. Right? Saul has shown up to arrest people and kill people and drag them away, becomes a Christian, and now they're trying to kill Saul. This is ironic. Alanis Morissette should write a song about it. But that's gone over most people's heads because that's like back from the 90s, far out. But Saul learned of their plan. And so day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So he escapes Damascus and he heads to Jerusalem. And in verse 26, it says that when he came to Jerusalem, now you remember Jerusalem is where he started. That was where he was rounding people up. That's where Stephen was martyred. That's where Saul was overseeing public executions. And he'd left Jerusalem to go to Damascus. And so as far as everyone in Jerusalem knows, he's just gone off to continue being Saul, to continue rounding up Christians, to continue destroying people's lives. And now he's come back. It says that when he came back to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Which I guess if you put yourself in their shoes makes sense right? He's gone away. He was a horrible person doing horrible things. Now he's come back and he's like, I'm a Christian too now. Show me where you all meet. <laughs> Let's hang out. Give me a list of everyone that's a believers because I want to be their uh, friend. Like you can imagine that everyone there is like, ah, oh, this seems like just the sort of thing you would do exactly if you were trying to get into our group. So they're like, no, this is not going to happen. Verse 27, but Barnabas, Ah, but Barnabas. Turn to your neighbor. You know, when I was up at conference, every time anyone made a good point, they'd say, turn to your neighbor, and then they'd tell you what to say. So, turn to your neighbor and say, thank God we don't do that here. (coughs) (laughs) But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. You can read here that Barnabas has a lot of inside information on Saul. He doesn't just have like an overview. He like knows that God interrupted him on the road. So clearly Barnabas has had conversations with 
Saul. Barnabas isn't standing up and saying to the disciples, hey, look, I have never talked with the guy, but he seems legit. He's not standing up saying, hey, I've never really connected with him. I don't know his story, but his face is nice. He stands up and says, no, look, here's his story. And Barnabas goes into bat for Saul, and he tells their story. It's clear to me that Barnabas has at some point come alongside Saul and said, hey, man, tell me your story. What's happened in your life? What's going on? And Barnabas has taken the time to hear Saul's story. And then he tells all of the apostles about it. We talked about Barnabas a couple of months ago because Barnabas means son of encouragement. His real name is Joseph. But obviously he's got such a gift of encouragement. He's just got this personality, this character trait that is so dominant, that's so apparent to everybody around him that they're like, dude, we've got to change your name because you are so encouraging. We're going to call you the son of encouragement. And I said a couple of months ago, just in passing, but I want you to actually stop and think about this. If you were to sit down with the people that know, know you best, your friends, the guys you work with every day, your family, and you said, hey, what would you call me? based on how you see me showing up in the world. What would they call you? You know, we were up at conference last week, and for a variety of reasons that I won't go into, uh, I, I just, I was not having a great time. I just wasn't in a great headspace at conference. I was already kind of tired. I'd had a lot going on in other areas of my life outside of church. I know you guys don't believe it, but I do have a life outside of church. And there's a lot of stuff going in my outside church life. And so I kind of turned up the conference a little bit, uh, a little bit needing a break. And then I'm also like quite introverted in that I recharge by being by myself. I recharge by being with a very small group of people, like with my wife and kids, watching a movie at home. I don't like being around lots of people all the time. And so to, you put me in a conference environment with 500 other people and lights and music and rah, and it's not my fun place to be. And I thought that I was hiding it very well. <clears throat> Abel and Kira were with us. It's fair to say that I kind of, let me see. If there was a Hebrew name for son of grumpy pants, that would be probably a good description for me last week. And uh, we came home and Liz got a message the next day and the message just said, hey, is Josh okay? Because he, he did not seem like his normal self. And I thought, oh, what are you talking about? So I messaged a mate who was up there and uh, I said, did I seem my normal self? And he said, No. Oh, okay. And so I was thinking about it yesterday, and I was on the one hand, I was a little bit kind of deflated and like, oh, Josh, you sort of let all of this stuff that was on the inside spill out to the outside, and people could notice it. And part of me was like, well, that's kind of what being authentic is, right? It's, people can tell that there's stuff not going on. And I thought, what would I have called myself last week? And yes, you know, son of grumpy pants or something like that. But then at the same time, I thought, it's kind of cool that everybody went, that's not who you are. Like, what's going on with you? That's not how you normally show up. So I was sort of, in a weird way, encouraged by it. But your homework for this week is to go home and ask the people that are closest to you, hey, if you were to call me something based on how you see me showing up in life, how I'm impacting your world, how I'm influencing the world around me, what would you call me? Could make for some interesting conversations. But um, I think it could be a fun thing to do. Don't do it to me. I don't want to know. But everybody else, <laughs> it's fine. So Barnabas, right, son of encouragement. So he goes into bat for Saul. That's not my point this morning. That's the, that's the scenic route. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. See, because of what Barnabas did, Saul had connection. 
He had relationship. He had oversight. I don't know if we can say this for sure, but you could certainly make a case that if there was no Barnabas, there'd be no Paul. If there was no Barnabas, there would be no 13 books of the New Testament. Without Barnabas, maybe there is no missionary journeys. Without Barnabas, maybe the whole early church looks completely different. But Barnabas. How many people in our world need us to show up as Barnabas every now and again and just say, hey, I'm on your side. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care what your history is. That was BC. That was before Christ. I'm on your side. Verse 29, he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. I don't know what Paul is saying to people, but it's not popular. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Remember, I said, hey, look, just because people don't like you doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. In fact, sometimes it means you're doing the right thing. How many people were trying to call, kill Paul when he wasn't a Christian? No one. There's no record of anyone trying to kill Saul when he was persecuting Christians. Because it's popular to persecute Christians. It's popular to have a go at the church. It's popular to be negative and cynical about the church. No one tries to kill Saul when he's persecuting the church. But when he becomes a member of the church, all of a sudden everyone's trying to kill him. That's interesting. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now, this last verse, this is what I want to talk to you about for five minutes, and then we're going to get the band up and... Just see what God wants to do. Verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I love the way the King James Version puts it. The King James Version says that walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, they were multiplied. What we have here, guys and girls is we have the spiritual recipe for multiplication. How many people want multiplication in their life? How many people want exponential increase? How many people want more grace? How many people want more wisdom? How many people want to see uh, you know, more miracles happening in their world? How many people want to see a, an exponential increase of signs and wonders? How many people want to see multiplication of breakthrough? Is it just me, or are you guys, you actually want to see that as well? Yeah. Here's the recipe. In this context, it's talking about growing church numbers. I don't know a single pastor that doesn't want to grow their church numbers, usually for really unhealthy reasons. It's truth. If you want to make a lot of money in the church world, just come up with a system to grow church numbers and then sell it, and you will make all sorts of coin. Because every pastor wants their church to grow. Because every pastor, including me sometimes, feels like if their church isn't growing, they're doing a bad job. And they're worried that everybody else looks at their church and thinks their pastor's doing a bad job, which is dumb. But pastors are pretty dumb a lot of the time. The only difference between you and me is that I'm up here and you're sitting there, but we're the same dumb. May 18th, 2019, I was not a pastor. May 19th, 2019, I was a pastor. What changed? Nothing. Nothing changed. I'm the that's that's that. Can we post it on our Instagram page, Emily? Like, I'm up here, you're down there, but we're the same dumb. That's that's great. That'll preach real well. 
if you if you want to if you want to see increase in your life, if you want to see multiplication in your life, the Bible says, "Here's how you do it." We'll read out of the King James Version: "Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, they were multiplied." If you want to multiply any area of your life, if you want to see an increase in intimacy between you and God, if you want to see uh, you know more supernatural activity, if you want to see healings and signs and wonders, if you want to see an increase in any area, you have to walk in the fear of the Lord. And in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Two things you've got to do. Walk in the fear of the Lord. And we know, I think most of us have been Christians long enough to know that fear of the Lord doesn't mean like, oh, I'm terrified of God, he might hurt me. It means awe, it means wonder. It's so easy. We get so sidetracked, we get so distracted with stuff to lose our awe and wonder of how amazing God is. I went for a walk the other day. And I didn't walk very far, and I ended up, actually, I just ended up walking next door, because Jared lives next door, and he was out. And so I just went and sat on his deck. I was like, this is far enough. <laughs> and I sat there, and I lay down on his deck, and it was like one o'clock in the afternoon, it was blue sky, and it was sunny, and there was no one around. And I just started thinking about God, and I started thinking about how big God is. And, and I just focused in on just his majesty and his magnitude. And, and, then, and then as I was in the middle of all of this, I just had the sense that he was right here. And it blew my mind for just a moment that the creator of the universe, more powerful than all the power that we have combined in the universe, is more powerful than that, is outside time. He was with me in that space. I think sometimes we lose just our awareness of how awesome he is, how wonderful he is. That's why David writes in Psalms, hey, magnify the Lord with me. Magnify. Magnify means to make big. You get a magnifying glass, you put it over something that's bigger than it was before. Actually, it's the same size, but it looks bigger to us. Some of us just need to grab spiritual magnifying glasses and just hold them up. It says walking in the fear of the Lord. You know, that word walking, again, it's a Greek word. I'm not going to go into it, but it's translated uh, numerous times in the New Testament, but it's most often translated go. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 28 when he gives the Great Commission. And he says, go into all the world. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. You know, make disciples of all nations. Go. It's the same word that is used walking in this instance. It implies this idea that you're on a journey. Like journey. Journey with God. Journey with the fear of the Lord. Go on an adventure with this awe and wonder that we have. That's the first step. And then the second thing it says, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I think probably the biggest thing that I've gotten out of our X series so far is just how much Holy Spirit was involved in everything that the disciples did. And the comfort of the Holy Spirit, again, it's a Greek word, and sometimes our English language doesn't do us any favors. That's why I encourage you, if you're serious about studying the Bible, get some sort of concordance, get something that shows you what the Greek word was and, and what it potentially meant. Because we say comfort, it can also mean to like uh, implore, it can also mean to encourage, it can also mean to summon. But in a nutshell, what it means is to draw near to, draw close to, like increase intimacy. And so the Bible says, hey, look, if you want to see multiplication in any area of your life, if you want to see exponential increase, if you want breakthrough, you need to go, journey, do life with just this awareness that God is awesome. 
and never let that awareness drop away. It's so easy. It's so easy. You get to, a problem comes up, and all of a sudden the problem is huge and God is tiny. Just God is awesome. Hey, Steve, he's awesome. There's nothing he can't do. And then just lean into the Holy Spirit. Let him encourage you. Let him speak to you. Let him draw you in. The Bible says you do those two things. Everything else will be taken care of. Who wants to see an increase in miracles around their lives, even in this place? Okay. We were up at conference. Abel was sitting next to me, and, and there was a guy called Tark Barna speaking. Do you guys hear Tark Barna? Walking with, is it Walking with Fire or something like that? Is this Radio Rima thing? And anyway, he was telling a story, not his story, but uh, telling a story about uh, a revival that happened back in the day. He was talking about how he loves reading about revivals, and he didn't clarify which revival it was. might have been the Azusa Street revival. might have been one of the Welsh revivals. But he told the story about a young man who had, for whatever reason, a grace to just heal deaf people. Anyone that came to him that was deaf, he'd lay his hands on them and their ears would open. And one day, uh, a woman came to him in one of their meetings that they were running, and she was a sign language teacher. She was a deaf teacher, and she had brought her whole class. And she said to this young man, can you pray for my class? They're all deaf. And the young man said, I can do it, but if I do it, you'll be out of a job. She said, that's all right. I'm not worried about that. And so this young man got, I don't know how many there were, maybe like a dozen, 15 kids, didn't clarify, got them to stand in a circle and hold hands. And then he went up to one of the young people and he put his hands on either side of this guy's head and he just said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you spirit of deafness to leave now. And as soon as he said it, bang, this kid's, this kid's ears just went pop, pop. And then without anyone doing anything around the circle, pop, 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 the whole circle of deaf kids just completely ears opened. And Abel leaned over to me. And do you remember what you said, Abel? Abel said, I would love to see something like that. And I said, I would love to see something like that. How many people would love to see something like that? What are you going to do about it? It's a start, right? Praying for deaf people, yeah. What are we going to do about it? We can sit at the back of the train, let everyone else do all the work and just go, well, eventually this train will get me there without me having to do anything. And that's true. We're not talking about salvation. But there's so much more to being a Christian than just holding on to a ticket to get you into the pearly gates at the end of it all. I was... I'll get the band to jump back up because if you guys play music behind me, this sounds less challenging. You guys have heard that one of the definitions of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. Have you heard that definition? Right. This This is a truthful statement. If the way that you're living your life Let's say we, let's say we, because we're all in the same boat here. If the way we are living our lives, if the way that we are showing up, if the the care and the attention that we are giving to our relationship with God, if the seeds that we're planting in the Spirit, if the effort that we're putting in, if the intentionality that we have around how we're nurturing our relationship with God has got us to the point where we don't really see miracles happening. We couldn't probably 
answer the question honestly, when was the last time you saw a circle of deaf people get their ears opened? Then it stands to reason that if we keep doing what we've been doing, then we will continue to not see those things. Like it's fairly logical. Everything that I have done up until this point has generated the results that my life is now getting. And if I, if I want different results, if I want better results, if I want more supernatural results, I have to change how I'm doing things. You know, there's a verse in the Bible where it says this. It says, God cannot be mocked as a man sows, so shall he reap. If we're not happy with what we're reaping in our lives, then we have to go, well, what are we sowing? And the good news is, the encouraging news is, all we've got to do is just change, make some adjustments. We're not stuck like this. We're not, I'm not saying, guys, sorry, we will never see anyone healed of deafness ever because there's nothing that we can do about it. I don't think that's true. I think God's inviting us I think if there's, if there's a part of you that hears that story and goes, I would love to see that. That's the Holy Spirit saying, come on, I want you to see that too. Let's go on a journey. Walking in the fear of the Lord, just with this awareness of His awe and wonder, and then leaning into the Holy Spirit, getting intimate with Him, allowing Him to summon you. You know, we sing songs like, Lord, send revival. Lord, send it now. Do you know what revival looks like? It's messy, man. It looks like meeting after meeting. Like every revival I've ever read about, ever, just meeting, meeting, meeting people, people, people. You stand up there, you go, I want revival, God, I want it right now. Well, do you want it if it means coming to church five nights a week? Oh, I don't know if I want it now. I don't even like prayer meeting on Mondays. <laughs> Let's just get real for a second. We all put our hands up and say, I want to see deaf people healed. This is a terrible analogy. I don't know if it's good theology. Maybe I'll walk this back in a couple of weeks. I just wonder if that kind of stuff is like front of the train stuff. I just want to encourage you this morning. There's so much that God has for you as a person that he has for us as a body of believers, so much. And we all have the same choice to make, and that's to go, are we going to go after this? Am I going to give God everything that I have? Or am I happy just sitting at the back, cruising along, knowing that I've probably got my heaven thing sorted and that's, that's good enough for me? What's the last song that we were going to do again? Alright, you can do that. It's good. Unless you want to do something else. It's up to you. Abel's in charge of the worship side of things. Why don't we um why don't we stand this morning? And we're just gonna just a little bit more worship and I'm just gonna leave this message to kind of ruminate with you. And what I want you to do is I want you to just ask God, God, do you want me to respond to this in any way, shape, or form? Maybe God says, yeah, I do want you to respond to it. I want you to go up the front and just spend some time with me up there. I literally want you to move to the front. 
as a symbolic act. Maybe God says that. Maybe God says, no, you just stay where you are and let's just have a conversation right here. Maybe God impresses something on your heart that he wants you to do differently when you get back home. A little change that he wants you to make to your routine. One of the things that I have started doing, I, I got a text from a guy the other day and he said, hey man, how do you grow in intimacy with God? And I was like, oh, that's, that's a big question. How do you grow in intimacy with God? I said, I think there's lots of ways you can grow in intimacy with God. Sometimes growing in intimacy means spending more time with God. Sometimes it doesn't mean spending more time with God. It just means changing up the time that you spend with God. Sometimes it's neither of those things. Sometimes growing intimacy just means sharing an experience. If you share an experience with somebody, you grow in intimacy with them. I said, there's lots of different ways to grow intimacy with God. I said, but what I'm doing at the moment that I'm trying to be really intentional about is I'm getting up early, which I decided to do a week before daylight savings started, which was dumb. I get up at 6.30 and I go for a walk and I just invite God onto my walk and we just walk. And sometimes I'll walk and I'll pray. Sometimes I'll walk and I'll listen to worship music. Sometimes I'll walk and I'll just try and beat my record for how fast I walked it the day before because I'm feeling competitive. And because I'm a guy and I can't do two things at once, I can't walk fast and pray at the same time. So I just say, come on, God, let's just, let's just walk fast. Lots of different ways you can do it. So maybe you've got to go home and just go, I'm going to, I'm going to change something up about how I do things. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. I don't know about you, but I want more than what I've always got. I think that's a healthy way to be, like always wanting more of God. Always content, yet never quite satisfied. It's a tension. Let me pray for you, and then I'm going to just let everybody respond in any way you want to respond. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your invitation to us this morning into the more of you. Father, I thank you that your heart for every single one of us is for us to be on an adventure with you that is just the most compelling existence that we could possibly imagine. God, I thank you that you've created each and every one of us to operate supernaturally. There's not a single person in this place that doesn't have everything within them to move supernaturally. And God, right now I pray that you would open our spiritual eyes, that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts. And God, I pray that you would speak to every one of us and that we would hear what you say and give us the courage to step out and obey. Amen.